0: Okay, we are going to uh, do something a little bit different tonight uh, than we have done before. wanted to first of all say to our brother Mitch uh, publicly thank you for the really good job that he did in taking us through first Samuel. Uh, just really appreciate his efforts so very much. Uh, speaking of Mitch, would you I need a, a couple volunteers. Sam and Mitch, thank you for volunteering. And maybe you can get Bill if you want to. Everybody gets one of these half sheets. And uh, Eric, do you mind to help out? I'll let you go to your right. So everybody gets a half sheet of paper. And I'm sorry that the font is a little bit small. I wanted to preserve our resources a little bit. And rather than using 75 pieces of paper, use 37 and a half. Pretty good, right? Anybody need a writing utensil? Uh, you will not. I have three of my special ones that I'd like back if possible. Well, that's from Nukes, so don't lose that. And then I have a. There you go, brother. And then I have a whole box of others that I'm happy to loan out. If I don't get those back, it's not the end of the world. No one's going to see your answers except that your spouse or your pew mate. They may see what your answers are. Usually we do a review, and I've done this before when we've studied. Anybody else need a writing utensil? Okay. Uh, Usually we do reviews after. I'm calling this a pre-review. And I didn't do that just... uh, There's a reason behind it. There's, There's always reasons behind these things. You'll see that there are eight questions and they're coming to you. Anybody need some more? This is an open book, closed book test. So only you know if you cheat. And the Lord will know. Uh, But you're welcome to use your Bible. We're only going to spend maybe uh, three to five minutes doing this. I'll run through the questions. If you're confused about the question, I'll try to give you some explanation as to what it means. and, And give you, you know, 20 seconds to answer, if you don't know it, that's okay because we haven't studied this yet. But number one, the death of which two characters is the focus of a eulogy or elegy in chapter one? If you've read a little bit of ahead, you've already know that because that's what we're talking about, Lord willing, tonight. Which two characters died, and there's a kind of a eulogy, a, a poem about them. anybody need a, anybody anybody need another form or a pen? need. That's okay. Number two, who does David mourn for late in chapter three after he was murdered by Joab? We're looking for the name of a character and it starts with a vowel. I'll give you a hint. It starts with a vowel. Number three, who touched the Ark of the Covenant in chapter six and was punished severely? It starts with a vowel, but not the same vowel as, as number two. Number four, who was Jonathan's son to whom David showed great gratitude? Number five, what was the name of Bathsheba's husband who David had killed? Put him on the front line of battle. Number six, who was the prophet who came to David and said, You are the man? Or the King James Version is more emphatic, Thou art the man. Number seven, who was David's son who had his hair caught up in a tree? And number eight, what got David in trouble uh, in the last couple of chapters? Um, What did he do? He did an action that God was not happy with. Okay, and we'll uh, come back to that in a little bit. So if you want to continue taking your little test. Uh, We're going to review it in their final five minutes. All right. So 2 Samuel, I've entitled it, The Reign of King David. You could describe it as this is a a biographical sketch of David, a review of David, an introduction to David. There are lots of different ways that we can characterize a study of the book of 2 Samuel. Uh, It is a shorter book than 1 Samuel, and so we won't have to go maybe as quickly as some other places, uh, longer books that we try to uh, fit into a 13-week period. For example, Genesis or even 1 Samuel, which we just discussed. But let's go ahead and just kind of outline our text together. And um, what is the first thing that is mentioned in 2 Samuel? What big event happened that he goes back? the author goes back and reviews This had happened. The death of Saul. So we're going to get into 2 Samuel chapter 1. And the death of Saul is the first thing that we see come up here. came to pass after the death of Saul, when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, and David had stayed two days at Ziklag. On the third day, behold, it happened that a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn, dust on his head, And it was when he came to David that he fell to the ground, prostrated himself. (laughs) All right. So let's just go back very briefly. And in my Bible, all I have to do is turn back about two sheets of paper uh, or or two pages. And you get to 1 Samuel chapter 31. And let's read verses 3 through 5, which we talked about two weeks ago when Mitch uh, concluded the study of 1 Samuel. And then he did the good review last week. The battle became fierce. This is verse 3 of chapter 31 of 1 Samuel. The archers hit Saul. He was severely wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword, thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not do that, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. Okay, so just catalog that. We're going to come back to that here in just a couple of seconds as well as look at a passage in 1 Chronicles chapter 10. Those of you that have looked at the outline, uh, which is there are a few copies available on the ledge. Many of you have gotten uh, it. I also have an electronic form, which I I should have sent out. I sent it out to at least one or two individuals uh, you'll notice that we jump back and forth between 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles, the second section of 1 Chronicles, a couple of different times. And you see some parallel text. You also see some uh, almost commentary text where it kind of gives you some more information that is there. In verse 2, going back to 2 Samuel chapter 1, in verse 2... Uh, It happened that a man came from Saul's camp. What was the nationality of that man based on what we read later in the text? He was an Amalekite, right? We'll read that in a few moments. So what details does the young Amalekite share about Saul's death that are new? Or maybe I should have put on, on the slide that are different. We'll read the verses here in a few moments, but what is what does he say? That's like, huh? I don't remember reading that before.
1: He said he killed.
0: He said he killed him, right? Right. Anything else? Leaning on a spear. Leaning on a spear. So there's some so there's some differences that transpire here, uh, and I'll go ahead and put up there based on what we read in First Samuel chapter thirty one, and ask the question: How does this differ? From 1 Samuel chapter 31. So let's go ahead and read. Chapter 1 is all we're going to focus on tonight. So we're probably going to read the majority of it if not every verse. David said to him, where have you come from? This is verse 3. I have escaped from the camp of Israel. David said, how did the matter go? Please tell me. So even though we've read 1 Samuel 31. David's not familiar with what happened in 1 Samuel 31. So he says, tell me what happened. How did the matter go? He said, the people have fled from the battle. Many of the people are fallen dead. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead also. So David said to this young man, how do you know that Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead? The young man who told him said, as I happened by chance to be on Mount Gilboa, there was Saul leaning on his spear. And indeed, the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. Now, when he looked behind him, he saw me and called me. And I answered, here I am. He says, who are you? He answered and he said, this is verse nine. Verse eight, I am an Amalekite. He said to me, please stand over me and kill me for anguish has come upon me, but my life still remains in me. So I stood over him and I killed him because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm and have brought them here to my Lord. We'll stop there at verse 10. Uh, what's going on here? And there may be a couple of different ways of describing what's going on here. He's cre- go ahead, I'm sorry. He's creating a story and he's doing it for whose benefit? for his own. What is he seemingly expecting David to respond or how does he uh, expect David to respond? He wants to be rewarded. He wants David to reach out his right hand and say, You are a good man. Congratulations. You have achieved this message. Apparently, uh, as we'll read and review a little bit here in just a moment, he wasn't familiar. This Amalekite was not familiar with chapter 24, nor with chapter 26 of 1 Samuel. What happened in 24 and 26 of 1 Samuel that we talked about? David had two recorded occasions where he had Saul within his grasp or almost within his grasp and he could have killed him could have taken his life and he chose not to do so we'll talk more about that on slide number two here in just a moment here i want to turn over to first chronicles chapter 10 and we're not going to spend much time in first chronicles uh tonight and maybe not even next week but uh chapter 10 Let's go back and read verses 11 through 14. And before we, let's pretend we haven't read that ever before and you're not reading it right now. Why did, why did Saul have a violent end? Because of his failure to obey the Lord. So you you could argue military unpreparedness, you could argue uh, the superiority of the uncircumcised enemy and all those different things, but ultimately... The reason that this happened was because of a failure to do what the Lord had wanted him to do. Verse 11, When all of Jabesh Gilead heard that the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons, and they brought them to Jabesh and buried their bones under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. Talked a little bit about that last week. So Saul died. This is verse 13 and what I call a little bit of additional detail or commentary. Saul died. For his or because of his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against the Lord, because he did not keep the word of the Lord, also because he consulted a medium for guidance, but he did not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, he killed him and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. So verse 14, the he killed him is not the Amalekite nor the archers, but it is the Lord, right? The Lord had him killed for that purpose. Um, Thoughts on that before we progress to verse 11 and following. Uh, Brother Bruce here, uh, Michael. Um, And then we'll go ahead and progress into the next couple of verses. Brother Bruce.
2: When you make up a story, you need to make sure that it's plausible. Uh, The idea of Saul leaning on a spear, which in those days was anywhere from 12 to 15 Mm -hmm. feet in length, it would be impossible for one to commit suicide with a spear, spear, even if you bolstered it, because it would bend and it would be very difficult to, to pierce through. Yeah. So from the very get-go, uh, he didn't do much thought about his story. Yeah,
0: good point. Thank you for sharing that. Other thoughts on the first few verses or what we've talked about thus far? All right, let's go ahead and proceed to verse 11. And following. Uh, before we do so, the question that I asked, and I have maybe three or four questions tonight How does David react to the news of Saul's death? Let's start there. How does he react? His clothes. Is it, is he some, I heard someone say sad. He tears his clothes. He does the traditional uh, societal norms of showing, I am really upset. I am really bothered by this. What does that teach us about David? Yeah, he, he it goes back to 1 Samuel 24, 1 Samuel 26. It goes back to 1 Samuel a little bit of 16 and 17, where he continues to say, I am not going to speak ill of, nor am I going to harm God's anointed. All right, so let's read in verse 11. Therefore, David took hold of his own clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. They mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan, his son, for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. So I just thought that was kind of interesting to appreciate the lesson that we learned about David's character. And as we begin this kind of biographical sketch or review of the life of David One of the things that I I, I was talking about with two or three different people today in in anticipation of tonight is that the Holy Spirit doesn't just show us all the good things about this man after God's own heart, but rather shows us even his errors, his poor choices, and his very, let's, let's just call it for what it is, horrible decisions that he makes. That leads to the deaths of various people, including his own family, on multiple occasions, on at least two occasions, we could say. So all these different things are happening, and this is one of those pieces where we see the authenticity of the Bible um, proven more and more. When we write our own autobiographies, we typically write them to make ourselves look very glowing and very well. But the Holy Spirit reveals the good stuff and the bad and the ugly and shows the whole story. Only an inspired book like the Bible is going to have the capability of doing that. And that's one of the the hallmarks of when you look at evidences internally in scripture, you can appreciate that that's the case. So David asks a question in verse 13. What's the question that he asks? Where are you from? Yeah, where are you from? Because up until this point, even though we've already read ahead, David didn't know whether or not he was a, who, who he was. He says, I am an Amalekite. Um, why do you think, and I didn't ask this question on the screen, and I don't know that I'm looking for anything, though I, I found this interesting as I was thinking about this over the last few days. Why does David ask this question? And I think there may be a couple of reasons why he asks this question. Okay. Verse 14. Okay, good. Okay. So if he knew David and knew David's disposition, would he have acted this way? Uh, it reminds me in many ways of Luke 24. What stranger are you that you do not know of the things that have happened in Jerusalem? Remember, that was Cleopas and his friend's question to, to the disguised Jesus when they're like, don't you know who we're dealing with here? Don't you know what we're dealing with? Don't you know the, the, uh, the, the character of the, the people? Don't you know the people in this particular story? Um, other thoughts on that? Let's go ahead and read verse 14. David said, how was it that you were not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? By this point, by the way, I can see the countenance of the Amalekite falling. I can see his face maybe turning white. His smile and eagerness to report, I've killed Saul, turning into, I've killed Saul. And there's a a transition here. When he realizes he's done something that he should not have done. At least that's just the way that I, I kind of imagine him looking. So, which takes us back to the point that uh Miss Janita made and some others made earlier in our study, and that is to consider, if you would, David's respect for the Lords and the Land. And I'll go ahead and put up there if you want to jot those down. If you read 24, 6 through about 8. 26, 9 through about 12 of 1 Samuel, you will see the accounts wherein David had the opportunity to kill Saul, and he says, How can I raise my hand against the Lord's um, anointed one? So David says to the Amalekite, Shame on you, go away, I don't ever want to see you again. What happens to the Amalekite? He's cut down, he's destroyed. Uh, And he is killed. So let's read those next couple of verses here. David called one of the young men and said, go near and execute him. He struck him so that he died. So David said to him, your blood is on your own head for your own mouth has testified against you saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. So this did not work out very well for this young Amalekite. Um, And going back to what Brother Bruce pointed out a few moments ago. If you're going to fabricate a story, you want to make sure that you fabricate it, one, so that it is believable, so that it is perceivable, as truthful, and that it is going to be pleasing to the person that you're speaking to. Or you could just tell the truth because the truth doesn't get you in trouble, right? And there's another kind of sub-lesson or a uh, sub-application that we can make from this particular text. All right. That's the first half of chapter uh, one. any f- thoughts before we get into, yes, Brother Mitch here, and did I see a second hand?
1: Okay, Brother Mitch. I just want to say uh, I think David's mourning, not just about Saul and Jonathan, but also you have this large army that's just been totally wiped out and destroyed um, because of of Saul's uh, you know not following the Lord. that's as part of his punishment. Um, so they're not just mourning the death of four individuals, but it's the death of you know, thousands uh, at this point. Um, secondly, I think it, it's important here to also point out that words have consequences. What you say and what you agree to have done, whether that is truthful or not, has lasting consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people claim a lot of things in this world and, and seem to think, especially with you know, our time on the internet, that you can claim whatever you want and there's no consequences, nothing can happen to you. Um, But here, David doesn't say, okay, go find out if this Mm -hmm. is true. You know, go find Saul's body and see if this guy actually killed him. He just kills him right then because of his claim. Right. So so your words have consequences. Very good observation.
0: So uh, if we were to make a list of top ten big takeaways from tonight, that would be one of them, is the words having consequences. Absolutely. So... Tell me what happens in the last 11 verses. What is, what is the last, what are the last 11 verses? In your words. A dirge. A dirge, yeah. What's a dirge? For those of us that use the word dirge on a daily basis. A song of mourning. A song of mourning, yeah. Other, other thoughts? Kind of like a, say again. How the, how the mighty have fallen. It's a story. It's a almost poetic piece to, as we're going to talk about in a second, a memory about how the fallen, and I, I really like the, the word dirge that uh, Mitch used here. Um, in my Bible, um, in the version that I'm reading from, in verse 18, it is called the what of the what? The song of the boat. And the reason that I re- preface it that way is because there are some versions that you're reading from which may say in verse eight, 18, teach the children of Judah the bow, as opposed to the song of the bow. But the, it is a song, it is a dirge, it is a, a poetic rendition here. So I chose to call it, based on the New King James Version and most other English versions that we read from, the song of the bow. What's the bow? Where's, where's that come from? It seems
1: Jonathan was an
0: archer. Right. So it has something to do with archery and goes back to how was Saul initially wounded with archery, right? Um, so that's that sounds like that's what's going on. Um, there's an L word that we use. In fact, there's a book of the Bible. We haven't used that word yet that's called and that the l word is lamentation so i, I put up here three different aspects of this little poem or dirge or uh, piece it is a lamentation it is a very dark piece it's sorrowful uh it is designed to do what very good I like the word remember to memorialize both Saul and Jonathan so if you want to cheat and answer question number one on your little half sheet of paper now now you know the answer what we're talking about here so the the elegy this eulogy is about Saul and Jonathan and it was designed particularly to be remembered uh like Miss Sherry says for future generations this is a, at a time where people do not have access to written documents in the way that we have them. People can not read and are not literate in the way that we are. And stories are transferred from one generation to another generation to another generation uh, through, uh, through one's mouth, through oral interpretation. And that being said, uh, we, in English... Put certain things in poems or in song so that we can better remember them and we can aid them. So some of you uh, have memorized the books of the Bible by way of a song. Uh, and every once in a while you'll see David or I pause, and that's because we're singing the books of the Bible in our head as, as we're trying to figure out where did that book go. Uh, it happens to us as we get older. I'm much older than David, uh, so it happens to me a little bit more often. Okay, he's just slightly older than me. Uh, but uh, we, we do the ABCs by singing a song. You, uh, I remember when I was teaching, we would memorize the preamble by singing a song. Uh, and there's all kinds of different things that we do culturally, not just because we are Americans, but because we're human beings, that we memorize those things by song. And so let's talk about this song of the bow. Uh, It is a song. Uh, We're going to make some general observations about it, and then we're going to look at its major themes. Um, Let me just start before. Let's read it, and then we'll come back and talk about it. Let's read it. David lamented, so there's the L word in the New King James Version, with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan his son, and he told them to teach the children of Judah the song of the bow. Indeed, it is written in the book of Jasher. Jasher. And here it is, verse 19, we'll read it down through 27. The beauty of Israel is slain on your high places, how the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath, proclaim it, Not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. O mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew, nor rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For the shield of the mighty is cast away there, the shield of Saul, not anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, and the sword of Saul did not return empty. Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives. And in their death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. O oh, daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan was slain in your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. So uh, the word lamentation or dirge or I like what. brother brian pointed out the idea how the mighty have fallen in fact if you want to divide it into three sections which we will divide it into three sections look for that phrase the mighty has fallen the mighty has fallen the mighty has fallen and that's kind of how you can divide it up into thirds not thirds in terms of the text uh, because the first third is much longer than the than the second two thirds but we'll talk about that here in just a moment let me just share with you three things that jumped out to me, and I was, I was writing these things down today. One, it shows to me the sincerity of David. David is very sincere. He doesn't say, well, Saul is dead, and I'll act like that bothers me because that's the right thing to do. But, no, he's really bothered by it. And I like what Mitch had to say. There's all kinds of mourning going on because of all the people who have <coughs> perished. But Saul was the Lord's anointed, and Jonathan was his friend. He said, he's knit to me like a brother, even closer than a brother, uh, some would say. Secondly, it shows the real or authentic respect that David had for Saul. So this wasn't just uh, something that he uh, said from time to time. He really respected Saul. And the third thing, going to Jonathan, and we'll talk about uh, verse 26, part B, uh, illustrates the deep affection which David had for Jonathan. Talk to me a little bit about uh, verse 26. What does it mean when he says, Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women? And Mitch highlighted this uh, four weeks ago, five weeks ago. Just a little bit talked about it. I don't know if you remember but he... He threw in there something for us to think about that others will, you may encounter at some point, someone who's critical of the scriptures. Uh, What does that mean when he says that your love, Jonathan, was to me wonderful, it was very pleasant, and it surpassed the love of women? What's he saying? Yeah, but Sam. I think
1: the question to ask is what kind of love is he talking
0: about? Absolutely, absolutely. Very good. Uh, I have tried uh, over the course of the last few years to incorporate the word love a little bit more in my conversations with other Christians more so than I have before. Because I think maybe we lack that sometimes. I think we're uncomfortable with that. For me to say, Sam, I love you is a little uncomfortable in our culture in macho America, right? But the fact is, is I love Sam, and I know that Sam loves me. And I know that that's true of my love for each and every member, whether you are a male or a female. So that sincerity is a deep uh, affection. We talk about brotherly love in the New Testament uh, when we talk about phileo. And I think there's something to be said for what Sam's saying here. Other thoughts on this? Yes, Brother, brother Allen here. Uh, um, we'll go to Allen and then see if anybody else has anything. Yeah, Brother Allen. I think if we, if we look back at some of their interactions, especially early on, you see that when David was first brought by Saul and not allowed to leave you know, the palace anymore, Jonathan is the one that provides things for him, that takes care Absolutely. of him, that watches over him. You almost get a sense of, I know he calls him his brother. Jonathan almost is like a father to David in many ways, what Saul should have been, jonathan actually does that and so in in one sense you could see david saying the love and the care you have given me exceeds even the care that women give they would have thought you know caregiving would be a very feminine thing to do culturally back then and jonathan even exceeds that what a woman might do for their children he was so attentive and devoted
1: to taking care of david
0: very good excellent thoughts brother bruce over here michael excellent thoughts and then uh Roger, did you have your hand up? You just stretch it. All right, stretch away. <laughs> Brother Bruce.
2: And I think, too, going back from my experience, uh, Jonathan and David were both warriors. Mm-hmm. There are things that happen in bonding, and John can probably address this, too. There is a bonding that takes place on those who have shared uh, critical and life-threatening situations together that builds a lifetime bond in some cases between, uh, well, uh, people use the term band of brothers and, and other, other terms. But there are things that bind you together. And certainly all the things that Jonathan had, had experienced seeing his father act the way that he mm-hmm. acted, uh, David... Uh, being his friend, uh, receiving, being on the receiving end of uh, some of that violence and anger, uh, I believe they had a bond. Now I can sit and tell Miss Young all the war stories that I can think of, but she won't understand a lot of them, and she won't. Un- and, and unless you've been uh, in a situation like that, you'll never understand. Uh, that love but I think it's the events of the day that bound them together that they could talk earnestly and openly and honestly to each other and realize that both understood Uh, Jonathan understood what could happen and he asked David uh, to have mercy on his family Uh, David understood that Uh, David understood that Saul, even though he was evil, uh, was the anointed of God. Mm -hmm. And so there are things that bind people together into a love that is greater than the love you may have with your wife because of what you have endured. And I think that's what we, one of the things we see here, Mm -hmm. I could be wrong, but uh, there there are lifetime bonds and I have a, a, a brother in Michigan I call him my little brother but uh, we've been through some things together and we understand when we talk about certain things and places and and events and sometimes we we discuss those things they're things that we wouldn't discuss with our wives yeah. it's it's a love that is not greater. <coughs> necessarily than our love for our wives but it's a love that brings out our ability to confide in things that we wouldn't with our wives excellent thank you brother sorry to take so
0: long no that that's great very good thoughts Uh, as i mentioned when you divide this song it's divided typically into those two-thirds or three two-thirds those three thirds, um, just just for uh, making sure we understand what the words are here, uh, verse twenty. What are Gath and Ashkelon? <laughs> they are they are two of the five most prominent cities in Philistia, right? So it's a representation of uh, saying New York and L.A. from coast to coast, the two of the th- uh, three biggest cities in the country, kind of thing. Okay. Uh, Major themes, and then we'll get to our little uh, quiz here uh, that we started with, is the major themes. Uh, What is the first section about? It is a curse on Gilboa. What happened at Gilboa that got it cursed? That's, That's where the battle happened. That's where it culminated. That's where Saul was dead. Saul and Jonathan are both beloved characters, and there's a lot more that we can say about those six or seven verses that make up that first section, but we'll suffice it to say that. Uh, Section two is a focus, which would be verses 25 and 26, is a focus on one person, not on Saul, but on Jonathan gets kind of his own little subsection in in the poem or the dirge or the lamentation. And then, uh, verse three: uh, the warriors themselves have fallen, and they will never be forgotten. They will always be remembered. And here we are now, 3,000, 100 years later, give or take a uh, hundred. And what's happened? We remember them. We're not. We haven't forgotten them. So we're still in the process of remembering Saul and Jonathan. Uh, we, we do so not through song so much, but we do so by reading, but we're reading the song. Okay? Any final thoughts on chapter 1 uh, before we get to the half sheet of paper? If you came in late and you didn't get a half sheet of paper, don't, don't stress. Um, but I want to go back and look at our, our eight questions and the pre-review of the book of 2 Samuel. Number one. The death of which two characters is the focus of this eulogy or elegy? Saul and Jonathan. If you don't get that one right, I can't help you. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. We just spent the last 25 minutes talking about it. Saul and Jonathan are, are memorialized, right? Okay, number two. Who does David mourn for in chapter three, which we'll talk about Lordly next week, after Joab murdered him? And it starts with A-E-I-O or U abner abner so we'll talk a little bit about abner next week uh, lord willing and why that happened and what that involves and lessons that we can learn from that number three is probably one that uh is is easier to remember because we use it so often as an example of the seriousness of following god's commands uh who touched the ark Uzzah, and he was punished severely how was he punished he was killed. He was struck dead. All right. Number four might be a little bit more challenging um, because it comes later in Second Samuel. Who was Jonathan's son to whom David showed great love or gratitude? Mephibosheth. So say uh, uh, like Brother Phil was talking about on Sunday, say that five times in a row, right? Mephibosheth. Uh, so I worked on that today. I was sitting in the office just saying Mephibosheth over and over again. Number five, Bathsheba's husband that was killed in the battle? Uriah. Um, oftentimes we call him Uriah the Hittite. Hittite. Very good. Okay, number six, who was the prophet who came to David and says, Thou art the man, the one who finally gets him to realize you've done wrong? Nathan. Nathan's that man of God. Uh, David had multiple children. Uh, the most famous, number seven, the most famous would have to be... Absalom. Well, okay, let me... let me. Let me the, not the answer to number seven, but this is just a bonus question. The most famous son who ends up becoming a king Solomon, right? But who was... But Miss Janita is correct, and others who, who said it, uh, had long hair, Got gets caught in the terabith tree, right? Absalom. That story used to scare me when I was a little kid when we'd look... I did not like that story. I just had this picture of this man hanging by his hair. And I guess it should scare you. We'll talk about that later. And then last, uh, what act got David in trouble very late? He did what? Numbered the people. Took a census. And we'll talk about why that was a problem. Why that got him in trouble. Lord willing, uh, much, much later uh, in, I guess, September. Lord willing final 30 seconds for anything else you want to add yes brother Sam I've
1: been wondering this for a long time why was Abner still alive he's a general he should have been out there with everybody else we don't even hear about him Hmm. until later on that question has been bugging me for a long time
0: (laughs) okay so our our homework for next week is to read chapters 2, 3, and 4 I think that's what the outline actually calls for Uh, And why was Abner still alive? I'm not going to answer that because I've got to study that a little bit. All right, very good.
2: Thank you.